2: welcome to the humanist report podcast my name is mike figueredo and this is episode 238 of the program today is friday april 28th 24th excuse me and before we get started i want to take some time to thank all of our newest patreon paypal and youtube members all of which who signed up for the very first time to support us this week or increased the monthly pledge that they were already giving us and that includes amanda brown Andrew Fazio, Ashley Chong, Burt Rothkugel, Casey's Martin, Charlotte Guerin, Cheryl Kuskelly, Cody Ellis, Derek V, Devin Zervisco, Downright Superb, Gina M. Day, Glenn Purdom, Helga, Jamal Arberry, JB, Jolie Thatcher, Karen Hetlinger, Kateri Strobel, Mark Russo, Marin Pettis, Patrick Lawson, Stephen Rice, Stubborn Goat, Trent Hansen, and Veronica Moreno. So thank you so much to all of these kind souls. If you'd also like to support the show, enjoy the independent progressive media revolution, you can do so by going to humanistreport.com slash support, patreon.com slash humanistreport, or by clicking join underneath any one of our YouTube videos. We have another great show for you all this week. I think a little bit less Doomer than last week. Nonetheless, still not the funnest, but still a good show. So we'll talk about the right wing protests that took place in 20 different states where right wingers, mostly Trump supporters, argued that they should be allowed to die for capitalism if they uh, choose to do that and Trump is perfectly contempt with letting them do so. We'll talk about Joe Biden's atrocious 2020 campaign strategy and why Nancy Pelosi is a detriment to the Democratic Party's electoral prospects in November, Chris Liz's argument that the media wasn't actually biased against Bernie Sanders, Stuart Varney hits AOC for gloating about the oil crash, New York Democrats tried to remove Bernie Sanders from the ballot, Joe Biden makes an appeal to young voters, Democrats caved to Republicans once again, And finally, we'll close the show by talking about how the Republican Party is actively trying to use COVID-19 to undermine social security. That's what we've got on the agenda for today's episode. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Hopefully you guys will enjoy the episode. So I know that I'm a little bit late to the party on this, but we've got to talk about the anti-quarantine protests that have been popping up across the country. I believe that now more than 20 states have had these types of protests where people defy lockdown orders, self-quarantine orders, and they demand that their governors reopen the economy. Now, this isn't something that is unique to the United States. We're seeing these types of protests pop up in India, in Brazil, and Jair Bolsonaro actually joined the protests himself. So this isn't a unique issue here. The problem is that this is going to make these types of stay-at-home orders last longer because if you gather in these large crowds and you spread the virus, then guess what the solution ultimately will be if it does spread more? We have to stay home longer to try to flatten the curve try to stop the spread so i mean these people don't realize that they're making matters worse And keep in mind that most Americans actually do support a national lockdown, not because they enjoy it, but because we're all adults and we realize that it's necessary even if we hate it. But over the weekend, mostly right-wing Trump-supporting protesters defied lockdown orders and they demanded that the lockdown be ended, and they did this by chanting about wanting to go back to work. Some of them open-carried weapons, others suggested that the pandemic was a hoax, and there were even some of them that... Called for violence, and others who cheered on said calls for violence, as you'll see in this video.
0: I fought in Vietnam against the socialist communists. I'm sorry we didn't kill them all. We're under attack by China. And the Democrats are on the Chinese side, and the media is on the Democrat side. My guys didn't die in vain. You and your children and your grandchildren are worth dying for. And their freedom and their liberty must be paid for. And all I'm asking you is to vote them out. Because I don't want to have to shoot them again.
1: And I will if I have
2: to that was batshit fucking insane, and I love how they think that they're the ones being patriotic as they literally talk about killing other Americans. No, you're not the ones who are being patriotic. Your behavior here is the antithesis of patriotism because when you say. I disagree with a particular policy of my governor. Therefore, if we don't vote them out, they should be killed. You're not being patriotic. You're being authoritarian. You're being a tyrant. Now, I want to stress that Most people don't agree with these individuals. They're a vocal minority. I think that most people, 60% of Americans, according to one poll, are sensible enough to realize that, you know, this isn't an infringement on our liberties. I'm not saying that this crisis won't be weaponized as 9 11 was to, you know, basically get rid of the Fourth and Eighth Amendments. We have them, but they're meaningless. So, you know, there are going to be political ramifications that we have to deal with as a society. But It's not you losing liberty if you can't leave your house, right? Because as, you know, Wendell Oliver Holmes Jr. put it, the liberty to swing your fist ends at your neighbor's nose, meaning that you don't have the liberty to endanger the lives of other people. We have the liberty to be protected from you spreading your disgusting germs, right? And this is an issue, but part of the problem is that Republicans are egging them on. They're fanning the flames rather than basically saying, here's a solution to make sure that you're not going to be ruined economically because of this pandemic. These are the policies we're carrying out. No, instead, Donald Trump said that they are very responsible. That's a direct quote. They're very responsible. You have Stephen Morris say that they are like modern day Rosa Parks. You have Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida reopening beaches. You have Georgia Governor Brian Kemp listening to protesters here and reopening salons and gyms, which are probably going to become makeshift disease-spreading factories, but they don't care. They're not about proposing solutions. They're just basically egging people on because this is a nice out for them, right? Rather than actually governing competently and effectively effectively. They see this as an out. Donald Trump has an interest in opening, reopening the economy, whatever that may mean, as quickly as possible because... An incumbent president always takes the blame for economic downturns. So he knows this. He's very aware of this. So if people are able to shift blame on this to Democratic governors, that really helps Donald Trump. So this is why he's encouraging this. It's because it's politically expedient. And it's not just politicians, it's the propaganda apparatus of the Republican Party who's also encouraging this. If you watched Fox News, I mean, you could pick any show. But Particularly, uh, America's Karen. She also was suggesting we've got to reopen the economy, whatever that means.
3: Born of rebellion and revolution, we are ready to fight. It's in our DNA. We're ready to fight the virus, ready to fight to get back to work, and ready to fight to reopen our country in a safe and strategic way. We get it. We're not stupid. We know to wash our hands, wear a mask and keep our distance. We know to look for signs of the virus. We look to protect the vulnerable. We appreciate the numbers need to be contained as we go through the three phases of reopening. We know the virus can come back and we will be ever vigilant to make sure a complete reopening is dependent upon the data. Now, we've been sheltered in place for weeks and we are not children. We are capable of using our God-given common sense to protect ourselves and others, but there has to be a balance between physical safety and economic survival. More and more people becoming unemployed, 22 million so far. People watch their savings, their livelihood, and their dreams disappear. For some, there will simply be no business to rebuild. For others, there will be no coming back from the depths of depression, alcohol or drug abuse. Canceled elective surgeries prolonged enormous physical pain, suffering and further stress and depression.
2: Think about how absurd this situation is. COVID-19 has killed 40,000 Americans. That's the equivalent of 13 9-11s. Imagine for just a second that we had a terrorist attack in this country that killed 40,000 Americans. Would America's Karen, Judge Jeanine Pirro, be saying the same thing? Would Donald Trump be saying the same thing? No, they would be beating the war drums. In fact, Republicans would be beating the war drums the loudest. But yet, we see this threat that took 40,000 American lives, and that number is still rising— And they're willing to reopen the economy immediately. And Trump even questioned why we can't just allow COVID-19 to wash over America. Look, we don't get to choose between saving American lives and the economy. These things essentially are inextricably linked, right? You can't just say, well, we sent them back to work so the economy's spared. That's not the way that things work. Life is a lot more complicated than that. But one thing that America's Karen said that I think is apt is that people are hurting. That's why they're protesting. And I agree with her there. There will be civil disobedience, societal unrest. That's going to continue. But people shouldn't take to the streets and say, we want to go back to work, right? This is a part of a life's worth of propaganda, brainwashing Americans. What people should be doing is demanding universal basic income what donald trump should be doing rather than saying oh they're very responsible they're staying six feet apart and wearing masks when they're not rather than doing that he should be saying here's my solution i'm proposing this stimulus package that's going to put money in your hands but he's not doing that he's not doing that we got the 1200 stimulus package and his treasury secretary steve mnuchin Delusionally thinks that that can last people for ten weeks, which shows you how to touched they are. But I mean, here's the thing: you don't get to placate these protesters and pretend to care about them. Donald Trump, Stephen Moore, America's Karen, Judge Jeanine Pirro, you don't get to pretend to care about their needs and understand their suffering if you don't have the correct solution here. Don't encourage them to sacrifice their lives for capitalism. Encourage them to demand something from their government. Encourage the government. I mean, Judge Jeanine Pirro has a platform to where Donald Trump will most likely be watching. She can say, here's what we need right now. 2000 bucks a month. Boom. Easy. This will help immediately so many Americans. But they're not doing that. They're not doing that. So we're in this horrible predicament where people are actually suffering. We all now know someone who's been suffering, who lost their jobs, who don't know what the future holds. I had two nieces cancel weddings, one of them laid off. I know people who are suffering firsthand from this. We all do. This pandemic is going to touch probably all of us, both directly and indirectly, because we're going to either suffer from it or know someone who suffers from it. So the answer isn't to reopen the economy and get everyone back to work and possibly get them killed. That's not what's going to be good for the economy. What we need to do is propose policy prescriptions to this pandemic. For every crisis, there is a policy response that you can implement if you care about people. So rather than Patting these protesters on the head and pretending to care about them, as crazy as they may be, Donald Trump doesn't care about them. Donald Trump desperately wants Democratic governors to take the blame for his failing because that benefits him. And if he can make everyone think something that they're already conditioned to believe that, you know, the correct answer isn't to strengthen our social safety net, but immediately send them back to work, then that's really great for Donald Trump. And boy, wouldn't it be great if we had an opposition party that was as effective at messaging or even half as effective at messaging as the Republican Party is. It's frustrating. Because on one hand, these people are absolutely insane and they're deluded. But they are in pain. And on a human level, I really feel for them, right? So it's like I feel bad making fun of them and, you know, saying that, they're crazy as they tout their Trump waving flags because they are like you have to be stupid to support Donald Trump after you saw the way he's governed for the last four years, after you saw his mishandling of the crisis. But at the same time, if you're struggling, if you feel like your material wealth is vanishing before your very eyes, you are afraid and you're looking for answers and you want something to change. And the number one thing that Americans are going to opt for oftentimes is what's most familiar to them. Now, thankfully, most Americans don't agree with them, but these protesters think that the way that they can get out of this crisis is by just going back to work, crossing their fingers, and hoping that they don't catch this disease. But that's not what's going to benefit their lives. If we reopen the economy and send everyone back and just disregard the recommendations from the World Health Organization, the CDC, it's not going to get better for people, it's going to get worse. It will further... Tank the economy. But nobody knows this. Nobody has an idea. They just want answers. They want solutions that haven't been given to them by either party, to be fair. $1,200 a month in a bill that is a gigantic multi trillion dollar bailout for companies, including the cruises, which aren't even American companies because they don't have American addresses. I mean, what do you have left but to be angry? and lash out and be afraid right now so these types of protests civil disobedience on a mass scale civil unrest this will continue so long as people struggle and suffer and there's just no solutions i mean look to what canada is doing it's not a perfect response but it's better than the united states look to any other developed country and the response has been better more compassionate but we don't get that here And part of the problem is that everyone's brainwashed. So they don't know to ask for it or demand it. So the situation sucks. The general election is in full swing and Joe Biden and Donald Trump are already exchanging insults through various annoying political television advertisements. Um, And I will just say that trying to analyze this, objectively speaking, based on what I'm seeing, um, Joe Biden is off to a very bad start. And I will say that making predictions at this point in time when a lot can change between now and November, I think that's not very useful because COVID-19 has dramatically changed The 2020 election. This is an entirely different election now than it was six months ago, right? In the same way that Brexit changed the 2019 UK election, COVID-19 has transformed the 2020 US general election. And the individual who I think is going to do the best is the one who delivers a vision for America, a concise, simple vision that just says, We're going to get back to normal. And, you know, we make fun of Democrats on Twitter because we say that Vote Blue No Matter who is basically MAGA for liberals. But that's actually, I I think, a true statement in this instance. Whoever can promise to get Americans through this pandemic and make sure that we minimize suffering, both economically and from the standpoint of health, that person who can convince people that things will return to normal, that's going to be the winner ultimately. And Joe Biden is off to a bad start because you can already see the type of election that he's going to run. So he's not very good at controlling the narrative. And Donald Trump has that incumbent advantage in the sense that he has the bully pulpit at his advantage, right? He tweets, And it's a 24-hour news story, whatever he says. So Joe Biden, he's got to work extra hard to make sure that his message is out there. And already, I see him failing. Like, Donald Trump is holding daily press briefings, whereas Joe Biden is nowhere to be seen. Like, if I'm Joe Biden's team... I'm trotting him out every single day so he can do a follow-up to Donald Trump's COVID-19 press briefing. Because it doesn't matter what Joe Biden is saying, the fact that he's there in and of itself is valuable. And the thing about Joe Biden's team is that what they're doing is they're allowing Donald Trump to craft the narrative and then they respond and debate an issue on Donald Trump's terms which is a recipe for disaster. It's exactly what Hillary Clinton did. It embarrassed Elizabeth Warren. Remember her DNA test? Sometimes you have to acknowledge that you lost a particular battle. You move on and you always try to have Donald Trump on the ropes. Like if you are a challenger going up against an incumbent... Your number one goal is to discredit that individual, call out their failures. You have no shortage of failings of Donald Trump. You know, throughout his four years in office, he's been a disaster. But just these last couple of months with his handling of COVID-19, there's no shortage of Donald Trump's uh, failures. So Joe Biden has a lot of tools at his disposal. The question is, will he use them? Now, I'm not saying that he should just basically try to go at this high and mighty response where he ignores and sidesteps all criticisms that Donald Trump throws at him. But I'm going to go through a couple of examples here, and I want to show you where I think he could improve. So, um, the first thing that we all knew Republicans would hit Joe Biden on was his obvious cognitive decline— Tucker Carlson talked about this, I think, the day of or day after Bernie Sanders dropped out, and Donald Trump just tweeted out this joke ad, and things like this are going to be very, very effective. Take a look.
0: Not another commercial. The kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've kids
2: my So that is uh, very effective. It's effective because it's true and um, it shows that Joe Biden is very obviously in cognitive decline. But on top of that, you know, people see this as, oh, Donald Trump is just like you and I. You know, we joke about people. We poke fun at our friends once in a while. So Donald Trump is just kind of doing the same thing, albeit, you know, to Joe Biden, his uh, opponent. So this is funny. He's just like you and I. So, I mean, like, If you're Joe Biden, I don't want to suggest that if I'm on his team, we'd be responding to every single attack. But I mean, if you have a president just go after your number one vulnerability and everyone's going to talk about this now for a week, the news is going to report on this, what do you do? Well, you don't necessarily address your own cognitive decline, but you call out Donald Trump's cognitive decline as well. I mean, if I'm on Joe Biden's team, we're putting together a montage of all of Donald Trump's incoherent statements. You know, raking the forest floors, big water, I'm the chosen one, why can't we nuke hurricanes? Why can't we let COVID-19 wash over Americans? We're playing all of the greatest hits, and we're going to be the ones who are talking about mental fitness, but not on Donald Trump's terms, on our terms. We're going to force Donald Trump to prove that he's the one that's competent. We're not going to be the ones who are playing defense all election. And that's what you really want to do. If you're the challenger, you've got to have the incumbent on the ropes. You've got to put him in a position to where Donald Trump is playing offense because I think that's relatively easy to do. He's the incumbent president. His record is terrible. So use that to your advantage, right? Make sure that we're talking about Donald Trump's inability to govern because he's not mentally fit don't make this about you don't let him make this about you um but that's just one example and i don't know what the response to be fair will be to this and i get that this is basically the spider-man pointing at spider-man meme in action but if you want to win you can't allow this to be the narrative you got to prove okay you know what sure i'm in cognitive decline you don't have to say that but So is Donald Trump. No, you. Make that your strategy with regard to this issue. But let me show you why I think Joe Biden's team just doesn't have the correct strategy. So Donald Trump put out an attack ad against him and COVID-19 and China. And I'm going to tell you what I think the response should be, followed with Joe Biden's actual response, which I think is not very persuasive. Ready to go? This is a crisis.
0: This
1: is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysterical xenophobia. Biden's son inked a billion-dollar deal with a subsidiary of the Bank of China.
0: China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They're not bad folks, folks. Since the outbreak, the Communist Party has been mobilizing overseas organizations to buy local supplies and
2: send
1: them to China.
0: It is in our self-interest that China continue to prosper. What a beautiful history we wrote together. Banning all travel will not stop it. president is right. The travel restriction on China, as every public health official we've talked to said, bought the country time. That was a
1: very smart move right hysterical
0: there. Hysterical xenophobia. Xenophobia. I complimented him on, uh, on dealing with China. I'm not going nuts.
2: Okay, so if I'm working for Joe Biden and I actually want to win, not convinced all Democrats want to win, but if I do want to win, what do I do? Because that's a very effective political ad. He, you know, hit Joe Biden for Hunter Biden's corruption. Uh, He played the clip of Dr. Fauci praising him, who is a very trusted figure in American politics right now. So what do you do in this instance? Because that's an ad that, while I don't necessarily think it's going to broaden Donald Trump's coalition, donald trump doesn't necessarily have to win over more voters republicans win if turnout on the other side is low so the thing that joe biden has to do in response to this is he can't just be reactive he has to be proactive now what do i mean by that so obviously we attack donald trump back we hit him for his numerous failings we call out the fact that he asked His own advisors, why we can't just let COVID-19 wash over Americans, which would kill them. We call out the fact that he failed to take action. Um, I think that's important. But you have to make the attack and then you move on quickly. You tell people exactly what you're going to do very simply to get their lives back to what it was before COVID-19. Basically, every other issue has been brushed aside. You know, healthcare, education, people right now are most affected by COVID-19. And whoever is going to win this election, I think, will be able to prove that they're better off post-pandemic with that individual. So if I'm Joe Biden, I'm saying, these are all of Donald Trump's feelings, but here's where we're going to turn things around. I'm going to make sure that you're protected from COVID-19, but on top of that, we're going to protect you economically speaking. So I gave Nancy Pelosi legislation that i want her to pass in the house and if you deliver me a democratic senate if you deliver us the white house on day number one i'm signing that into law and here's what that includes extended universal basic income of two thousand dollars every single month for the duration of this pandemic on top of that what we're going to do is extend unemployment benefits we're going to expand our social safety net we're going to spend in the economy and we know that a lot of these jobs that are lost currently they're not coming back So, we're going to have a federal jobs program that puts Americans back to work. So, that way, if you lost your job specifically during this pandemic, you are going to have the benefit of uh, getting a job from the government until you can find something back in the private sector, if that's what you prefer. But we're going to make sure that coming out of COVID-19 and this pandemic... You're as good, if not better off, than you were before going into it. Because certainly before this pandemic, things weren't peachy keen in America. But I'm going to make sure that we don't do worse off. Like, that's the message. You simplify that as much as you can, wrap it in a nice little package, and you make Americans know that you're the person who is going to save them from this pandemic. And again, looking back to the 2019 election in the UK, part of the reason why Jeremy Corbyn lost to Boris Johnson is because Boris Johnson's message was simple. Get Brexit done. That's what people wanted. And, you know, the problem is that Jeremy Corbyn, he didn't really have strong messaging here. He tried to, you know, play both sides and ride the fence. And I think that if you have a type of get us through COVID-19 message or back to normal message, even if that's literally what you want it to be, that can be really effective because people right now want relief and they're not getting that. So that's what I would have done, right? Really focus on what we're going to do for people, not worry too much about the attacks that Donald Trump lobbed against you. But instead, Joe Biden didn't do that. He responded to Donald Trump's attacks. And he tried to outflank Trump from the right rather than actually trying to just propose at least the centrist vision. I'm not even going to say left leaning, but at least the centrist vision of what we can do to get us back to normal. I mean, any ad related to COVID that's political has to focus on getting us back to normal, getting us out of this. This is what Joe Biden put out.
0: He failed to act. So now Trump and his allies are launching negative attacks against Joe Biden to hide the truth. Here are the facts. Joe Biden warned the nation in January that Trump had left us unprepared for a pandemic. Then, Biden told Trump he should insist on having American health experts on the ground in China. I would be on the phone with China and making it clear, we are going to need to be in your country. You have to be open. You have to be clear. We have to know what's going on. But Trump rolled over for the Chinese. He took their word for it. The president tweeted, China has been working very hard to contain the coronavirus. The United States greatly appreciates their efforts and transparency. China, I spoke with President Xi and they're working very, very Hard and I think it's going to all work out fine. Trump praised the Chinese 15 times in January and February as the coronavirus spread across the world.
1: It's a tough situation. I think they're doing a very good job. Are you concerned about 100%. its potential 100%. impact on the global economy? I think that China
0: will do a very good job. Trump never got a CDC team on the ground in China and the travel ban he brags about. Trump let in 40,000 travelers from China into America after he signed it. Not exactly airtight. Look around. 22 million Americans are out of work. And we have more officially reported cases and deaths than any other country. Donald Trump left this country unprepared and unprotected for the worst public health and economic crisis in our lifetime. And now, we're paying the price. All the negative ads in the world can't change the truth.
2: That was not a good ad, and it worries me because people who already support Joe Biden, Democratic Party loyalists and operatives, they love that ad, and I get thinking that this is a good ad if you're under the impression that the way you'll win this election is by convincing enough Trump voters to flip to you, but we know that that's not how Democrats win elections. Democrats win elections when turnout is high. You have to get people out of their houses to vote for you or if we can vote by mail but you get what i'm saying people have to be convinced to come out to vote turnout has to be high or you lose and what he did there was go tit for tat with donald trump which is not a good strategy because you can't play donald trump's game and beat him at his own game so you know in the ad that donald trump ran he showed a video of joe biden saying that donald trump is xenophobic and what does uh, this ad communicate No, Joe Biden doesn't care about xenophobia. In fact, he is xenophobic. Now, rule number one in all of politics is is you always have to hold your base. Being xenophobic, trying to out-xenophobe Donald Trump, is not going to be a winning strategy because you're just going to demoralize your own base and they're going to stay home. They're going to stay home. So if you're running an ad, if you're taking any time to hit Donald Trump for COVID-19, yes, you state where he failed. Joe Biden did that and moved on, but you have to tell people that you're going to save them from this pandemic. You can't just say, I would have been more xenophobic than Donald Trump. That does nothing to improve our lives at a very concrete level. And the fact that he doesn't get that, it's worrisome. Now, again, I don't, I don't want to say that you know I should be making predictions because a lot can change between now and November. And maybe Joe Biden doesn't take any of my advice. Maybe his strategy is the same as it is and he still wins. COVID shaked up this election. This is a very different game now. But with that being said, I think that he can improve his odds if he actually reads the room and acknowledges what's happening. Republicans just hit Nancy Pelosi with a really, really powerful ad. Trump's campaign manager hit her after she went on some late show and was boasting about all of the ice cream she stocked up on on her giant fridges and showed how out of touch she is because people are hurting. That messaging is exactly what Joe Biden should be doing. You should never be outflanked by a Republican from the left, and you should have learned this from 2016. You're never going to be perceived by the general electorate as being more right-wing than Donald Trump. But what you can do is try to convince people that you are going to lead them through this crisis and that you are concerned with the needs of the american people and you're not just worried you know exactly what those needs are because you are in constant contact with people but what we're seeing so far if this is any indication of the trajectory that joe biden will continue on i don't think he's going to do well i don't think he's going to do well i think he'll lose so he's got to change it now again I'm very reluctant to predict because I think that COVID-19 has changed the calculus here. But with that being said is, if people are going to make that change from Donald Trump to Joe Biden, it's not going to happen by flipping Trump voters. It's going to happen by getting them to come out and vote against the status quo, which is Donald Trump. They have to believe that you're going to improve their lives. And you do that by telling them how you're going to improve their lives and understanding their suffering. Right now, the future looks grim. The current situation is abysmal, but we can't necessarily see the light at the end of the tunnel for you know tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, next week, next month. People are really terrified right now. So what we need is leadership. And um, we're not getting that. I mean, Joe Biden's team is being very one-dimensional in their approach to this, and I think it's going to backfire if they don't learn from all of the mistakes that Hillary Clinton made in 2016. Like, I think that they believe that it's important to go to Wisconsin. It's important to campaign in the Rust Belt and hold white working-class voters, you know, suburbanites, the Karens of the world. But you're still not going to win unless people believe they're going to be better off with you than Donald Trump. Because if Joe Biden wins, that means people think that we have to change the direction of the country. Even if he said business is going to be the same as usual, people oftentimes vote for the incumbent, not necessarily because they like the incumbent, but because voters are risk averse, right? They don't like to take risks. And if they just stick with what they know, which is the person who's in charge, they usually feel safer with that. So you've got to convince them that this is not the safe option. It's actually the riskier option. And what I see so far is just, it's like there's an iceberg dead ahead and we're heading straight towards it on the uh, Joe Biden Democratic Titanic. And as we're headed towards that iceberg, you know, it's its difficult to assess what's going to kill people on board first, the iceberg itself, or the fact that there's already holes in the ship and it's going down. So I just, I don't know. Um, But... What I do know is that what I'm seeing from Joe Biden, working class Joe, is that he's painfully out of touch. And if he actually cares about beating Donald Trump, again, not convinced that he is, he's got to change it up. It's simple. This is not rocket science. It's very simple. Tell them their lives are going to be better off with you as president. You're going to get them through COVID 19 and you can win. If you don't do that, people are going to opt for the same thing. And maybe they vote for Donald Trump, or maybe they just stay home. But if you don't get them out to vote for you, you lose. Period. End of story. In a recent taping of The Late Late Show with James Corden, which is terrible, by the way, um, Nancy Pelosi was interviewed, and she talked about what she does during quarantine in her mansion, and she sat in front of two $11,000 refrigerators apiece, and was bragging about all of the ice cream that she has and how it was just fully stocked. Now, this is a classic case of an out of touch Democrat not reading the room because currently people are struggling. They're scared. They don't know if they're ever going to financially recover from this economic crisis if they're able to survive COVID-19, if they get it. So, I mean, it's just, it's painfully out-of-touch. On top of that, it's cringeworthy, but nonetheless... Nancy Pelosi has no shame because regardless of what she does, members of the Democratic Party club who worship her will never stop worshipping her. I mean, you see Marcos Militsas give her thousands of flowers. You see, you know, countless articles written about her, Yas queening her to death if she just tears up a piece of paper in front of Donald Trump. It's... They're never going to change because they never have any negative reinforcement whatsoever, right? So it's out of touch. It's a bad look. And Republicans actually took that video and they turned it into probably one of the most effective attack ads I have ever ever seen. Now, I think that we all knew that going into 2020, Donald Trump was going to do exactly what he did in 2016. He's going to outflank the Democrat from the left on certain issues while still trying to prey on the fears of people with regard to xenophobia and whatnot. But where he manages to uh, capitalize on here are something that theoretically should be the Democratic Party's strengths, right? The working class, But watch this ad, like this ad could have been crafted by a progressive and you wouldn't have known the difference. Take a look. We turn now to that $350 billion fund
3: to help small businesses and its workers get through the shutdown.
1: It will be up to Congress to restock it. But Democrats blocking that move this morning,
3: they asked for a quarter of a trillion dollars in 48 hours. I said, well, I don't don't think so. They objected and I congratulate the Senate Democrats. Speaker Pelosi, what are you going to share with us from your home? Chocolate candy.
1: Thousands have been forced to wait for hours at food banks all across the country.
0: This is
3: oh my chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. We just got to restock the ice cream. You don't want to eat up everything all at one time. I can't do it
0: much longer. I'm trying so
3: hard. Do we, so we say enjoying? Having to admit that, yeah. It would. We're starving, and... and I like it better than anything else. Taping this
2: segment, there are 22 million people out. This
3: work. specific program is about stopping job losses today. This is hurting people bad. Other people in our family look for some other flavors, but
1: right now it's a survival move. You don't know where that next something else going to come from.
3: I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented.
0: I just wonder. <laughs>
2: That was tweeted out by Donald Trump's campaign manager. That was a good ad. Objectively speaking, that was a good ad. In fact, probably one of the best ads I've ever seen. Look, it's fake. This is all political theater because Donald Trump isn't doing anything. Republicans aren't doing anything to improve the lives of Americans. This is a party of death and destruction. They're a capitalist cult and they don't care at all about getting food to Americans, fattening their wallets and paychecks. They don't care about that. But just the mere fact that they can correctly and objectively show you that Democrats also aren't fighting for you, that's an effective attack. Because uh, how do you respond to this if you're Nancy Pelosi? I mean, there's really no way to come away from this not looking out of touch. And it's because... She can't not look out of touch because she is out of touch. She's painfully out of touch. Now, after she went on James Corden's show, she had the nerve to put out this video asking people to give up their hard-earned cash to support her re-election campaign after she just rubbed her wealth in your face. Take a look.
3: Republicans are making it absolutely clear they want to unseat me. I refuse to let them attack our values. Can I count on you to rush in $10 before midnight to help me fight back? Thank you.
2: Now, keep in mind that she's lying here. Republicans don't want to defeat Nancy Pelosi. She doesn't have a Republican challenger. Her challenger is Shahid Buttar. So Republicans love Nancy Pelosi. They want her there in her seat as the face of the Democratic Party because using her As you know, basically the poster child for Democratic Party elitism, it's working out really well. It's why they managed to lose a thousand seats in legislatures across the country while Obama was president. Because Democrats are out of touch and they refuse to change and even concede a little bit of ground to the populist left. I mean, this is so frustrating. She has the nerve really to ask people for money go ask your billionaire donors fund it yourself sell one of your refrigerators don't ask your constituents to help you defeat a left-wing challenger who actually cares about these issues who wants to fight for the people who by the way tweeted out a picture of his refrigerator looks nothing like nancy pelosi's refrigerator that's what i'd call a normal refrigerator like at a time where people are applying for unemployment in record numbers 20 plus million. I think we're at 22. Flaunting your wealth, boasting about all of the ice cream you have is not a good look. And you're basically handing an attack to Republicans. Like the attack ad writes itself. I know that's a cliche, but it's true here. So if Trump runs this type of playbook heading into the general against Joe Biden, he's almost certainly going to win. Because Donald Trump doesn't care about Americans. But All he has to do, all Republicans have to do is prove that Democrats don't care about Americans. And that's going to be easy to do. Now, again, this is all political theater. Republicans don't actually want to improve the lives of Americans. They just want to enrich their donors. But just to highlight the flaws, which are undeniable in Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party and their elitism, I mean, what do you say about this? This is an effective ad. It is. So... You know, if Democrats truly care about winning, not all of them do, but if they actually want to win, ditch Nancy Pelosi, ditch Chuck Schumer immediately because leadership is making the entire party look as out of touch as they are. Like, they're basically the perfect representations of the Democratic Party in its current form. But if you actually want to beat Republicans and change America, these people are not looking out for you. So when a Republican runs an ad like this against Nancy Pelosi. It's true. And that should never be the case. A Republican should never, ever, in any circumstance, be able to outflank any Democrat from the left. I don't care if it's Nancy Pelosi. I don't care if it's AOC. I don't care if it's Joe Manchin. Anyone with a D in front of their name should never be outflanked from the left by someone with an R in front of their name because the Republican Party overall, is a far-right extremist party. So to cede them any ground whatsoever, to do things like this, it shows how incompetent of an opposition party, a so-called opposition party, the Democrats are. I mean, this is going to land. This is going to be effective. Really effective. In an interview with Ryan Nobles of CNN, Bernie Sanders said that he believes that part of the reason why he lost the nomination was because of the media's propaganda, their nonstop bias against him. And this isn't just like an anti-Bernie bias. This is a bias that corporate media has against the left, more broadly speaking. So this isn't a surprise to anyone. I don't think this is refutable. What Bernie Sanders says is correct. Now, is the media the main factor why he lost? I don't necessarily believe so, but was the media a factor in his demise? Yes. Now here's what he said specifically. I think what we saw from Nevada on out was a cry from the rooftops, from the political establishment, from the media, that they wanted anybody but Bernie, anybody but Bernie. My god, I don't know how many articles they were about, we need anybody but Bernie, and you know, they ended up succeeding, and that's that. Now, I probably wouldn't argue that the media ultimately is what sunk his campaign because, again, I think there were a number of factors both inside and outside of our control that led to Bernie Sanders losing and Joe Biden Joe Biden winning. Um, but, I mean, to deny that the media played a role— I think you're being incredibly dishonest and intentionally obtuse. I mean, when you see people going on national television talking about how Bernie Sanders makes their skin crawl, or he's disheveled and unlikable, or you bring on body language experts to prove that he's lying, you know, if you call him a hypocrite because he's a millionaire, because he sold a book, I mean, There's no other candidate that put up with this, right? So Bernie Sanders had more disadvantages coming into 2020 than any other candidate. Now, that's not to say that we couldn't have overcome the media's bias, but I think it's really important that we factor in the media's influence here because I think that without them, without them constantly shitting on Bernie Sanders, he could have won. Maybe they didn't, you know, unilaterally cause him to lose, but maybe if they actually were as fair to him as any other candidate, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, maybe he could have won. I don't know. But what I do know is that the people who are part of the problem, like Chris Silliza of CNN, take issue with Bernie's assessment here that the media played a role in his demise. And Chris Silliza penned probably one of the worst op-eds I've ever read, where he talks about why Bernie Sanders is wrong without actually hearing any counter-arguments to his position. So he writes this about Bernie Sanders' quote that we just read. In just a few sentences, Sanders A. lumps the media in with the political establishment as actors working to keep him from the nomination and B. lambasts the number of articles allegedly written seeking anybody but Bernie. In August of 2019, Sanders sent an email to supporters that read, in part, corporate and billionaire-owned media often tilts coverage against candidates who push a working class agenda, an agenda that threatens the political power of corporations. And billionaires In February, Sanders campaign manager Faiz Shakir told Vanity Fair that MSNBC is constantly undermining the Bernie Sanders campaign. Following his Super Tuesday losses, Sanders again turned to the media for blame. There has not been a campaign that has been having to deal with the venom by some in corporate media, he said. This campaign has been compared to the coronavirus on television. We have been described as the Nazi army marching across France. And as Margaret Sullivan helpfully noted in the Washington Post, there were, without doubt, opinion commentators at some major media outlets who wrote pieces deeply skeptical of Sanders' chances of beating President Donald Trump, but evidence of some sort of broad-scale effort by the media to keep Sanders from winning? There's not much of that to be had, and by blaming the media for his defeat, Sanders takes credit away from the remarkable comeback that Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee who he formally endorsed just this week, engineered. The point? The media is an easy scapegoat, but not always the right one. Now, believe it or not, I just read you basically the entire article with the exception of like two paragraphs. That was a bad argument. That was not an argument. Saying that the media is not biased against Bernie Sanders requires more than you just saying, well, here's examples X, Y, and Z of Bernie Sanders saying that the media was biased. No, actually go through the examples of bias because there are numerous examples and even data that proves that the media was against Bernie Sanders. I mean, there was a quantitative analysis from Indy's Times that revealed MSNBC didn't just give Bernie Sanders the least amount of coverage out of the three frontrunners, but they also covered him the most negatively overall. CNN ran a so-called investigative report about aggressive Bernie bros online, but a computational social science study found that Bernie Sanders supporters online are no different than the supporters of any other candidate, but yet that narrative persisted. And we're not just talking about a couple of biased op-eds here and there that are worried about Bernie Sanders' electability. We're talking about non-stop bias against Bernie Sanders, almost none of which were founded in policy. If you didn't, you know, remember this little compilation put together by Jeff Miami and Winkle the Bernie bro, look at just some of what the media said about Bernie Sanders and the way that they talked about him and dismissed him.
0: Can I bring up the donkey in
1: the room? bernie no bernie sanders makes my skin crawl sanders fading is a bigger story than people have given it credit for the
2: previous uh, set of numbers about kamala harris seems to suggest that
3: bernie roads are actually a real thing <laughs>
1: he's just
0: waving his arms around talking about revolution and all where we are going we won't need roads i mean I don't... one of the things i, I always hear from folks uh, who aren't necessarily on the burning bus so to speak is, is that he's not really a democrat I saw Bernie Sanders trying to raise money off of it, yeah, my, my, my timeline's going to be on fire. I thought
3: it was horrible. Then do you see any crossover, at least in those who
0: are at his events, who kind of look and sound like Trump supporters? When you say he attracts those who feel like they're struggling, they're struggling to be heard, and get their bills paid, and their voices heard, that sounds like a Trump voter. I, I see him as sort of a a not
2: pro-woman candidate. And some well, people say wait, that well, you well, heard well, Hillary so, Clinton's candidacy. Well,
0: Bernie Sanders has done nothing between 2016 and today to expand his base, to expand his his policies. He seemed
3: like a socialist from the 1950s, yelling at people um, in the same um, screechy voice, without smiling, without any kind of personal connection.
0: Bernie Sanders has been talking about these same policies essentially since he's been in public service for the past 25, 30 years but he actually hasn't done anything to pass them, right? He's talked a lot about them, but we have not seen any of these policies signed into law.
1: What
0: happened with Hillary and, and, and what's his name? (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. I, you would take the risk. I am excited. Ex- Trump are you asking manage. out of every candidate? I was also saying the same thing he said in 2016 this time around. I think that's not working. That's exactly the point I was going to make. I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle. Other people have kind of taken those issues away from him. And he looked like the angry man in the center of the stage saying, get
3: off my lawn. I
0: think he comes off as, as mean. I think he's disparaging. A socialist candidate is more dangerous to this com- country as far as the strength and well-being of our country than Donald Trump. I would vote for Donald Trump, a despicable <laughs> human being. Oh. Which no, you I, won't. I, 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 let me tell Stop you something. Stop yourself. And there is a
2: lot more. You can make the case that Fox News was more fair to Bernie Sanders because I don't remember where this article came from, but they assessed Who's more likely to support Bernie Sanders? And Fox News viewers were more open to Bernie than MSNBC viewers. Why? Well, because even if Fox News is covering Bernie negatively 100% of the time, they're at least airing enough of his platform to where his message is getting across. But on MSNBC and CNN, they don't even pay him that courtesy at all. Now, again, I'm not going to say that the media is the main scapegoat, right? They're the main reason why Bernie Sanders lost. I think that it's important for the left to do a real, honest, and objective post-mortem, and I plan on doing that at some point, but I think that we need to wait for the dust to settle, for time to pass, so we can actually figure out what we did wrong so going forward, we're stronger. We know how to correct the mistakes that we made. But quote-unquote analyses like these from bad-faith actors, they don't help the left. Crystalliz is trying to help you figure out why Bernie Sanders lost so that way the next time you have a candidate that you support, you don't blame the media. You think, well, you know, this, this isn't part of the reason why he lost. No, it is. It is part of the reason why Bernie Sanders lost. Not the main reason, but part of the story that we have to tell if we're going to be honest about why we lost in 2020. And Chris Liza is not your friend. And just the way that he talks about Joe Biden's comeback this wasn't a comeback. Joe Biden did nothing. He won states he didn't set foot in. The reason why he won is because Obama got the entire establishment to coalesce around Joe Biden after he won South Carolina, which was expected, but the media came in, also assisted Joe Biden, you know, gave him fawning praise, had this comeback narrative already prepared probably before he won South Carolina And, you know, all of these factors working together led to Bernie Sanders ultimately losing. But, I mean, for you to say that the media didn't play a role in Bernie Sanders' demise, I think that's incredibly disingenuous. You're literally gaslighting people. And this is why people don't trust the media. Because you all have class interests. This is why people hate media. This is why they don't trust media. Sure, you may not actually be in the tank for Joe Biden, but we know that you don't like Bernie Sanders because what he's proposing, what he was proposing, are against your class interests because you get paid millions of dollars every single year to spout propaganda that your advertisers love. They wouldn't be advertising on your network if they didn't like what you were saying right? And these advertisers also are the same multi-billion dollar companies that donate to the Democratic Party. So, it's a giant political establishment that doesn't just necessarily consist of political actors and political parties, but it also contains elites, oligarchs, the media. It's one huge package. So, you don't get to basically wash your hands of guilt as to why the left lost. I mean, I'm sure that Chris Eliza happy that bernie sanders lost but he wants the left to trust him cnn has a vested interest in making sure that they have legitimacy right so they're trying to make it seem as if oh well who us we didn't do anything wrong no you were against bernie sanders at every single step of the way and you absolutely are guilty and whatever attempts that the media makes to rebuild the trust just remember It's all to save face because these are not news organizations. These are businesses that don't care about making you informed. They care about making money. And if you always keep that in the back of your mind and you also read manufacturing consent, you'll know exactly what their agenda is. So Bernie Sanders dropped out of the 2020 election now about two weeks ago but he will still remain on the ballots in most states going forward if not all of them so you know he encouraged all of his supporters to vote for him as they were planning to so that way he can kind of rack up delegates and at best maybe have a little bit more influence over the democratic party's 2020 platform and you know in my state of oregon we haven't been able to vote yet but i still absolutely intend on voting for bernie sanders as i always have but in new york For literally no reason, other than to stick it to progressives, they're trying now to remove Bernie Sanders from the ballot. He's not going to win. He poses no threat. And all he's trying to do is rack up delegates to influence a platform that is functionally meaningless. And they don't even want to allow him to have that. So, as Owen Higgins of Common Dreams writes, New York state election officials are poised to remove Senator Bernie Sanders from the ballot in June's primary election, a move that would deny the Vermont lawmakers supporters the chance to cast a vote for him as president and would harm his chances of using his delegate count to influence the party's direction and push for reforms. Hard to imagine a pettier decision more perfectly calibrated to infuriate and depress younger and progressive voters tweeted Jewish Currents editor David Kleon. As HuffPost's posts, Daniel Moran reported Tuesday, Board of Elections co-chair Douglas Kellner and Commissioner Andrew Spano, both Democrats, will meet Wednesday to decide on whether or not to remove Sanders' name from the ballot. Kellner believes that a provision in the 2019-2020 budget, saying the board may remove a candidate from the ballot if they make clear they are no longer seeking the office in question, requires Sanders' removal. Under Kellner's interpretation of the statute, Sanders, who suspended his campaign on April 8th, falls under that category. It's not very controversial that Senator Sanders has suspended his campaign, Kellner told HuffPost. I anticipate that we will be removing him. Now, at the time that I record this, it's Wednesday, and we don't yet have a decision from them, so by the time you see this video, they may very well have already removed him. Perhaps, maybe they changed their mind and chose not to do this. The fact that this is even a consideration, it really shows the contempt that the Democratic Party has for voters. They're willing to disenfranchise their own base for literally no reason whatsoever. This does nothing to help Democrats. It can only hurt Democrats because if you disenfranchise voters in the primary, then obviously they're not going to be very enthusiastic about voting for you in the general if they come out at all. So what's the point of this? There is no point. It's just a matter of them trying to stick it to progressives at every single opportunity that they have. And what they're doing is effectively canceling the primary. I mean, let's, let's be real. It's over, right? Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. He won you guys won. Democrats won. Progressives lost. The left is not going to have power. So why can't you allow Bernie to just remain on the ballot and let people vote for him? Why must Democrats not just coalesce around the establishment to stick it to progressives, but even go a step further and pour salt in the wound that they've inflicted on us? Like, it doesn't make any sense until you realize that Democrats don't actually want to win. It doesn't matter if this move hurts the democratic party and their image it doesn't matter that the optics are poor here it doesn't matter that this will further you know detach them from any sort of relationship they tried to form with young voters they don't care winning is not their goal maintaining power is so if they think that bernie sanders getting more delegates and having a little bit more sway over the platform is a threat to them And their powers in any way, shape, or form, even if it's just, you know, when it comes to rhetoric, they're not going to allow that to happen. So it's just, it's embarrassing that this party, you know, has the nerve to continue to claim the moral high ground on so many issues to talk about, you know voter suppression and disenfranchisement that oftentimes is something that's inflicted on voters because of Republicans while well, they do the same thing like they have no shame and it's just it's it's infuriating but this is what we've come to expect from the Democratic Party they just don't care about winning over voters they don't care all of the consultants and the lobbyists and the individuals in power currently they don't care about it passing any policies they just want to keep their jobs So um, to make sure that you shut out progressives at every single step of the way, that's what they want to do. Just imagine for a minute that they were this effective at fighting Republicans. You know, scratch that. Let's imagine that they were half as effective at fighting Republicans as they were at fighting the left. Can you imagine all of the things that they would be able to accomplish if they just channeled some of the energy that they use to constantly punch down? And squelch progressive enthusiasm and just try to you know target the right (laughs) i mean this this is like not even uh something that's surprising and i would imagine more states will probably follow this move but you know it's just we shouldn't allow them to uh get away with things like this we have to talk about this and we have to shame them even if they don't really care but people have to know what's happening They have to know, even though, you know, technically it doesn't matter because Bernie Sanders is not going to win the New York primary. We lost. We know it's over. We get it. We were defeated. Congratulations. Maybe just at least allow his voters to cast a vote if they're even still going to come out and vote. But again, they don't care and they never will. That's why all the people in power currently have to get out. Otherwise, nothing is ever going to change in this country because we can't influence them. Nothing we say or do will resonate with them. So they have to leave and we have to come to power. Otherwise, change is never going to happen in America. So as many of you know, on Tuesday, the Senate reached a deal on phase four of the corona stimulus package. And uh, predictably, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats got absolutely nothing now i shouldn't actually say that they got nothing because they think that they got something they think that there's victory in their defeat um or at least that's what they're telling us that they think they got something but in actuality this is embarrassing and i think that this story it's really forcing people to come to terms with the fact that we need a new explanation for the way that Democrats are governing, because we can't just keep calling them incompetent if they never learn from their mistakes. We have to, at some point, assume malicious intent. We have to assume that maybe things are panning out exactly as they'd want them to pan out, because it's not like they don't know how to play politics. We just saw the entire Democratic Party establishment coalesce around joe biden to crush the left so they're strategic they're savvy they know how to play politics it's just that in instances like this maybe they're doing exactly as much as they think they need to do to appease their donors. So let's take a look at this. Jeff Stein of the Washington Post explains these were the things not expected to be included in the bill. Hazard pay for frontline workers, additional funding for states and cities, election security, which would probably include vote by mail because that would keep Americans secure, during a pandemic, assuming it goes on until November, more oversight of the previous bailout, additional revenue for food stamps, a rent freeze, another stimulus check. I mean, you could make the case that they shouldn't agree to anything if all of these things are not included, especially after they just went along with a multi-trillion dollar bailout. I mean, I don't think people fully grasp the ramifications of that right so after they went along with that either willingly or unwillingly to get people that 1200 dollar uh check i mean i would not agree to anything if we didn't get at least four of these things but let's just like take out one and really think through the importance let's think about election security and vote by mail If this isn't something that gets codified into law by November, Democrats are basically throwing this election away. If the pandemic is still going to, you know, require us to self-quarantine. Because think about this. There's a a growing contingent of the Republican Party, uh, their base in particular, that doesn't even believe in COVID-19. Like, put aside the people who think that we should sacrifice our lives for capitalism there's people who just outright think it's a hoax so if given the choice between staying home and you know playing it safe not voting or risking your life to vote in a pandemic in november who's going to be you know the one who is hurt by this the most if we don't get vote by mail republicans are going to come out no matter what they're going to vote for republicans but if democrats don't get vote by mail do you honestly think that more rational people, theoretically speaking, are going to risk their lives? No, it's going to be the people who think that we should just allow the virus to wash over America. And uh, that's even if they believe it's true in the first place. So like, do you understand if they don't get vote by mail and this pandemic persists until November, this election is a wrap. Democrats lose. And, I mean, think about this. 100 million people didn't even vote in 2016. Republican voters will not be deterred because of COVID-19. So if you don't get this done, if you don't throw it into any bill, then, I mean, you're throwing this election away. But Chuck Schumer doesn't think, or he doesn't want us to think, that they didn't get anything because he tweeted out, The bill before us is an interim measure. It has hard-won provisions Democrats fought for, but it's a building block. In the weeks ahead, Congress must prepare another major bill, big, bold, and ambitious. So, don't worry, guys. We know this bill isn't great, but in the next bill, it's going to be better. We promise. Now, the hard-won provisions that he's referring to here— I mean, these are objectively good things that are needed. Increased funding for hospitals, increased funding uh, to the tune of, I think, $25 billion for test kits for COVID-19. But imagine being naive enough to think that that's a victory that you won. This is something that Republicans need as well, right? They can't continue to look competent if they don't propose some sort of additional funding for hospitals, additional funding for test kits. So basically... What I can imagine happening is Mitch McConnell was probably trying to make a deal with Chuck Schumer and said, hey, look, we'll, uh, we'll give you $25 million for COVID funding, uh, test funding. And Chuck Schumer just thought that he won when Mitch McConnell was probably going to have to give some funding away anyway. Like, they think that they won and they lost, but yet he's still thinking that we should appreciate all of the hard work that he put in when he rolled over and died immediately. Not once, but now twice. Or excuse me, uh, four times because <laughs> what 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 uh, phase are we on now? This is phase four. I mean, this is just—it's genuinely embarrassing—and um, I want to go through what this contains here because. Um, It really is like even what they managed to get here, if we're going to assume that they should take credit for the additional funding for hospitals and test kits, um, even what they got wasn't sufficient. So if you're just going to draw that line at, you know, hospital funding and test kits, why not get an adequate amount of funding? But they couldn't even get that. So as Owen Higgins of Common Dreams explains, the bill does include $321 billion for small businesses, $75 billion for hospitals, and $25 billion for coronavirus testing. But to center on budget and policy priorities President Robert Greenstein, that's not enough. While providing needed support to small businesses and hospitals, the new COVID-19 package announced today falls short even as an interim measure, failing to deliver crucial state and local fiscal relief and food assistance, Greenstein said in a statement Tuesday. Critics of the bill pointed out that House Democrats could have moved to pass their own bill addressing issues important to progressives. But did they choose to do that? No. So it doesn't matter that they have the House of Representatives? And they could do something like that. They could propose their own stimulus relief package and say, look, we just passed a clean bill that provides every single American $2,000 per month for the duration of this pandemic. And they could just hammer Republicans over and over again on every cable news show. Like they could easily do that and force the Republicans to actually give them this victory, even if they're taking the other shitty bailouts for large, multi-billion-dollar companies. But they won't even do the bare minimum. They won't even do the bare minimum. And what's insane to me is that after they passed that massive, multi-trillion-dollar bailout with the last bill, they went along with it with almost no oversight. They didn't even try to improve the oversight in this new package. They just threw their hands up, and rolled over and died again. And what's really astonishing is that after they got no oversight, they're not really trying to get any additional oversight. As staff writer for The Atlantic Adam Sewer put it, Democrats in Congress are doing no oversight over Trump's mishandling of the pandemic and have handed Trump millions with no strings attached, but at least they're also caving on everything else. So in other words, they got no oversight of that multi-trillion dollar bailout last time, no oversight of that multi-trillion dollar bill at this time, and what did they get in exchange for giving up oversight? Nothing. Zero. Zero concessions. Nothing. Oh, excuse me, they got additional funding for hospitals and uh, COVID-19 test kits, something that is also mutually beneficial for Republicans as well. And, okay, I shouldn't actually say that they got no oversight, because according to them, They have oversight that they're really proud of so there's a five-person oversight commission and there is what 262 i think democrats in the house of representatives so nancy pelosi is tasked with putting people on that commission Um, she could have chose any one of these individuals who does she choose perhaps one of the least qualified members of the house of representatives freshman congresswoman donna shalala who doesn't have any expertise when it comes to the regulation of the financial services industry. On top of that, she is a criminal because she didn't disclose the sale of her stocks last year, which is a pretty brazen violation of the Stocks Act. And after Nancy Pelosi chose to name this crooked politician to oversee crooked industries, making an even bigger mockery of the so-called Oversight Commission, there were expectedly calls for Pelosi to replace her with anyone else. I mean, Nancy Pelosi literally has hundreds of options. Anyone she could replace Donna Shalala with. But what was her response when this huge corruption scandal broke out as she's going to oversee a multi-trillion dollar bailout? No, I'm not going to withdraw this nomination of Donna Shalala. What? What? Not joking. So as Roll Call reporter Chris Marquette tweeted, Speaker Pelosi will not withdraw her nomination of Representative Donna Shalala to the Congressional Oversight Commission after the Miami Herald reported she failed to disclose her stock transactions, a requirement for all members of Congress under the Stock Act. Drew Hamill, a spokesperson for Pelosi, said Congresswoman Shalala has the Speaker's complete confidence as she works to hold the administration accountable to the taxpayer through the CARES Congressional Oversight Commission. Since coming to Congress, Congresswoman Shalala has taken aggressive steps to avoid even the suggestion of a conflict of interest over her personal investments, Hamill said in an email. Representative Shalala has taken responsibility for her mistake in missing filings required under the Stock Act and has been working with the ethics committee to address this issue since she became aware of it, he added. There are no words to describe how absurd the situation is. And think of how brazen they are in trying to gaslight you. Like, this is gaslighting 101. They're peeing on your leg and they're trying to convince you that it's raining. So, In response to Donna Shalala not disclosing the sale of her stocks, which is illegal, mind you, they end up praising her, saying how moral and ethical she is because she doesn't want there to be a conflict of interest because she sold her stocks. No, you don't praise her in this circumstance. You lambast her. You punish her strip her of her committee assignments because she just broke the law, Nancy Pelosi, and now you're rewarding her with a seat on this toothless committee. I don't even know what to say, and I think that David Dan, journalist for The Intercept, put it best. 16 months of violating the law, but as soon as she was aware of doing it, a day before her spokesperson lied to me about it, she took action.
0: Amazing. Yeah, it's so amazing.
2: And now she's being praised. This is Unbelievable. Like, this is things that you see in a movie. She can pick anyone else. I mean, it it honestly doesn't matter. It's a simple gesture to your base to communicate to them that you still care about morals and ethics. Throw a fucking dart at the board. It doesn't matter. Pick anyone. But she won't do it. So, getting back to, you know, all of their incompetence... This isn't just incompetence. This may be malicious, right? It's incompetence at best, maliciousness, nefarious behavior that's intentional at worst, but this is really irresponsible for them to keep caving. I want to repeat to you, they are in control of the House of Representatives. They have leverage. They have power. They can pass their own stimulus bill easily. $2,000 a month, scream about it on every single cable news show. They have their own propaganda outlet, MSNBC. Badger Republicans for not voting on your clean bill to give every single American $2,000 a month, no questions asked. But what are they doing instead? Nancy Pelosi is going on late-night television shows bragging about how both of her $11,000 a piece refrigerators have been restocked with ice cream. That's what they're doing. At a certain point, the left needs to acknowledge the likely reality that they're not just incompetent. They're not just really, really bad at politics. They don't know how to play chess. They're doing this on purpose. They are willfully throwing these fights with Republicans because... They're content with the status quo. Economically speaking, they're aligned with Republicans. There may be a lot of disagreements with Republicans, at least when it comes to rhetoric, on social justice issues, but on economic issues, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they're simpatico. So it's not like they don't have the tools that they need to fight. It's not like they don't have the leverage to pressure Republicans to give us a little bit more than crumbs or at least more crumbs. They're doing this on purpose. You can't just keep assuming that they're incompetent. Are they incompetent? Yes, but they're doing this on purpose. They're losing on purpose. They're fighting as well as a boxer who shows up to a match who's paid to throw the fight. So stop assuming automatically that they're incompetent, even though it's really easy to do that because they're just so painfully, seemingly idiotic. They're doing this on purpose. They know how to play politics. They play politics hardcore with the left. When when it comes to the right, getting any sort of policy concessions that would benefit the American people, like tangible goods in the hands of Americans, money, they're not doing that. They're rolling over and they're dying. And it's just, people have to realize what's happening. You have to understand that they're also people who must be defeated. It's not just Republicans. You have to fight Democrats as well. Because they're clearly not operating on your behalf. They're not doing that. There's no other logical explanation for their behavior. They're not fighting for you. And that's on purpose. That seems intentional at this point. It's just time that people realize what's happening and not accept the gaslighting as we usually do. It really can't be overstated just how bad of a campaign Joe Biden is running, and I don't necessarily believe that his loss in November is a foregone conclusion because COVID-19 really did shake up the dynamic of the 2020 election, so he can technically skate by not really doing anything so long as voters believe that he's the more capable leader, he can win, right? But with that being said, it's still irresponsible to not actually try, and what I see from Joe Biden is just a failure to even attempt to appeal to voters. Um, First of all, the fact that he's not doing daily press briefings to compete with Donald Trump, I mean, this is just egregious. Every single Democrat should be screaming at the rooftops for Joe Biden to make himself more visible. Do a press briefing directly after Donald Trump. Bring on your own experts and scientists why aren't you doing this you are ceding ground to donald trump for absolutely no reason but we know the reason why he doesn't want to do this and there's a reason why he hasn't been very visible in the last couple of uh days It's because he's clearly in cognitive decline and what his team is now doing is whenever he does these public appearances live streams or what have you he'll bring out his wife to kind of hide away the fact that sometimes he really struggles to collect his thoughts and when it happens on national television on cnn it's ugly it's embarrassing and trump is already capitalizing on this weakness and joe biden just he he still has tools at his disposal to use he can do these parallel press briefings with donald trump even if He's not competent, even if, you know, it illustrates that he is, in fact, in cognitive decline, just making yourself visible, trying to be a leader. It's going to do a lot, I think. So, I mean, people should be irritated, any Democrat, that he's not doing better, not even trying to, you know, speak to his various vulnerabilities. And he has weaknesses, right? He is struggling with Hispanic voters. He is struggling with young voters. And if he doesn't actually make... A strong attempt to win them over he's not gonna win he's not gonna win now people should really be putting pressure on him to do better considering a new poll from cnbc and change research found that in six key swing states joe biden is neck and neck with donald trump if he doesn't win these states democrats lose the white house democrats lose the white house these states include arizona florida michigan north carolina pennsylvania and wisconsin now Even though Joe Biden still has a 5.9% lead over Donald Trump nationally, these states are absolutely crucial to his victory. Now, I will say that at this point in 2016, Hillary Clinton's lead was about the same. She had a fairly sizable lead over Donald Trump. Now, at this point in time, the primary was still going on in 2016, but the difference is that Joe Biden should be using this extra time to grow his lead reaching out to latino voters reaching out to young voters but his attempt to do that so far it's bad i don't know how else to describe it and i'm going to show you an ad i don't know which consultant uh recommended this who in his campaign decided to green light this but if they think that this is actually going to help him with young voters this is going to be a really really painful election for democrats Take a look. It was like outside. um, I was kind of just standing there on my phone. We all knew that he was coming out. I was just like, hi, Vice President Biden, how are you? Like, I was like
0: freaking out.
2: Like, I just hear like a roar, and then I was just like, oh my gosh, you can kind of see him from like the very back of my selfie. It's been my Facebook profile picture for the last four years. It's not a very good picture of me, but it is a picture of me with Vice President Joe Biden.
0: I lived in Delaware
2: all my life, so I grew up, uh, you saw him at the grocery store, getting some coffee on our college campus. I worked um, at the university, and he just came and he walked into my job, asked us a couple questions about what we like to do. He's really like trying to get to know each one of us, and you could see that, you know. He's just like your cool family member that you know, or like a family friend that you just spoke to. You're like, hi! Well, like, I wouldn't call him Joe, but like, if I knew him well enough, I'd be like, hey Joe!
0: That's the kind of vibe I get from him.
2: I've always loved politics. I've been involved in campus organizing since my freshman year.
0: All politics is personal when you live it.
2: The reason I'm here today is because I really believe in Joe Biden. Please keep doing your things. Like
3: I need you to win.
2: I love this guy and I gotta I gotta help him become president for sure.
3: I support Joe Biden for president
1: because of the Obama-Biden memes.
2: <laughs> now in case you weren't keeping counts. There were zero policies mentioned. That is an attempt to appeal to young people. And in the ad, uh, one of them said, I support Biden because of the Obama-Biden memes. This is patronizing. It's insulting. Young people don't vote for candidates that they think are hip, like the fellow kids. They vote for candidates who offer them policies that improve their lives. Young people are not stupid. You don't have to be condescending in your outreach to them. What you have to do is give them a policy concession. I'm not even saying you've got to adopt all of Bernie Sanders' platform. Lord knows it'll help, but just take one bold policy, not a half measure, one policy, legalizing marijuana and run on that. Scream it at every single rooftop you can find. And you will do better at reaching out to young voters. But what does he do? Has this patronizing ad of young people talking about how personable Joe Biden is. I've got news for you. You're not going to encourage young people to come out and vote for you if you convince them that you're going to take a selfie with them. What are you thinking? This is downright irresponsible. This is your outreach? Look, if he didn't put out this ad he would have been better off than putting it out. That's how bad of an ad this is. And if you watch any of the ads where he has them in Spanish, nothing but platitudes, togetherness, unity. I mean, if anything should have like hit Democrats, if they truly did a post-mortem and were introspective after 2016, it's that Hillary's main failure was making this an anti-Trump campaign and only talking about platitudes like she was the least substantive democratic nominee in i think decades i i forgot where that study came from but it was really shocking to see how little policy she talked about i think 25 percent of her ads featured policies whereas the other 75 percent were not substantive they were about trump's tone so i mean i don't even like i'm not convinced Democrats want to win. I think there's a really sizable portion of the consultant class of lobbyists, of Democrats themselves in power who just don't want to win because it's easier to raise money off of Donald Trump. It's easier to fear about him and, you know, get your constituents to chip in a couple of bucks if you tell them you're fighting Donald Trump. But I mean, if you are a Democrat and you actually want to win, I just... It makes no sense that this is what they continue to do, to not learn anything from 2016. I don't even know what to say. It's like the Democratic Party is being run by Republicans. And I don't mean that in terms of policy or ideology. I mean, it's like the people who are making decisions for them are interested in Republican victories, not Democratic victories. It's just that nonsensical. It's that idiotic. It's that incompetent. So if Joe Biden genuinely wants to win, he has to make an effort. I get hiding him away made him successful during the primary. But I mean, if you don't bring out Obama to campaign for you, if you don't capitalize on this extra time that you have that Hillary Clinton didn't have, what are you doing? Why did you even choose to run for president? We want to defeat Donald Trump. Americans on the left and in the center want to defeat Donald Trump. But we warned Democrats that this would happen. You, you know, beat us over the head with this electability myth, and we told you that was wrong, and now look at this. He's running a horrible campaign. Nowhere to be found. And now he's bringing out his wife as if she's running for president. I mean, we see what you're doing. You're trying to hide away his cognitive decline. Maybe you should have allowed voters to debate this because it was a legitimate issue. But when Julian Castro brought it up at a debate, he was lambasted because there are so many sacred cows in the Democratic Party that are just untouchable. All right. So, um, you know, I want to say... You made your bed lie in it so have fun with donald trump but it's not democrats it's not people like joe biden who will suffer from another four years of donald trump it's the most vulnerable people their incompetence if we even want to call it incompetence and not willful you know contempt for voters and not trying to win it's going to hurt vulnerable people the most not them so they don't they don't really care like consultants who make millions of dollars per year do you honestly think they actually care about winning this election they'd probably make less money if they got a job in joe biden's white house than they're making now consulting it's just it's infuriating and the fact that democrats believed at least a sizable enough chunk of the base believed that this guy was the most electable it's just sad it's just sad at this point i don't know what else to say Fox Business Ghoul, Stuart Varney turned into a triggered little snowflake once AOC decided to put out a snarky tweet that she quickly deleted, where she basically just laughs at the fact that the oil industry crashed. Um, now I don't think that's necessarily too unreasonable given that our tax dollars subsidize this industry that is killing our planet. Nonetheless, he feigned outraged and, you know, he claimed that she has no right to put out such a and disrespectful tweet at a time when so many workers are losing their jobs now note the angle that he takes here from the standpoint of a conservative capitalist he's going to feign outrage at the fact that she's not concerned that people in this industry will lose their jobs ignore how he doesn't propose or approve of any of the solutions that would actually transition these workers into different clean green jobs nonetheless he's angry he's angry He's going to clutch his pearls, and uh, it's a little bit funny. Take a look.
1: She tweeted and then deleted what she'd posted. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had gleefully opined on the crash in oil and the sharp losses for stock prices. Quote, you absolutely love to see it. That's what she wrote. She's clearly happy to see CO2 emissions cut sharply. Got that. But... If it takes 20 million Americans suddenly unemployed, businesses ruined, and thousands in lockdown misery, surely she should express a little less glee and a little more understanding of the catastrophe the virus has unleashed. Her now-deleted tweet went on to say, now is the time for a worker-led mass investment in green infrastructure to save our planet. Cough, I don't know what the cough meant. Ah, never let a good crisis go to waste. AOC is pushing socialism again. Perhaps she thinks capitalism has failed. Well, she's wrong about that. It hasn't failed. The virus did this to us. And wild schemes to borrow trillions for the Green Revolution are just that, wild schemes. Big picture. IT'S ANOTHER ATTEMPT TO POLITICIZE THE PANDEMIC AND THE PRESIDENT'S RESPONSE TO IT. SPEAKER PELOSI AND CANDIDATE JOE BIDEN KEEP SNIPING AWAY ABOUT TRUMP'S DELAYS COSTING LIVES. CONGRESSMAN ADAM SCHIFF WILL INVESTIGATE RIGHT BEFORE THE ELECTION. AND AOC CHIMES IN WITH A CALLOUS TWEET. SHE ABSOLUTELY LOVES TO SEE THE CRASH IN OIL AND THE WEALTH DESTRUCTION IN YOUR 401K. AGAIN, IT'S DESPERATION based on unbridled contempt for our president. We will get through this, not by going to socialism and not by pulling down President Trump. We will get through it by getting back to work as quickly and as safely as possible.
2: There is nothing more bizarre to me than a conservative capitalist claiming to care about workers. You don't care about workers because if you did, you wouldn't be a conservative capitalist. Now what he says here, I I think that this is actually good propaganda Because there are a lot of Fox News hosts like Judge Jeanine Pirro, America's Karen, and Laura Ingram, who they kind of just wear the contempt for the working class on their sleeves, but you've got to fake it to make it a little bit more, right? Because a lot of people who tune into Fox News, they are working people. They're just brainwashed. So you've got to at least pay them lip service a little bit. And Stuart Varney is actually doing this here to his credit. But he's trying to basically claim that AOC is using this crisis for political gain. Now, it's interesting that he says that, seeing that his own party is covertly trying to undermine Social Security to possibly privatize it, either fully or partially. We know what they want to do. On top of that, what did Trump just do? He banned immigration. So, don't pretend as if the Republican Party is above using crises to their advantage. And I think that it's smart politics to actually use these types of crises to acknowledge how we have solutions that would make us way better off. Medicare for all, universal basic income, a jobs guarantee. These are things you can implement that will put every single American, financially speaking, better off. Make them better off. Um, but they don't They don't go for any of these. Why? Because they are part of the capitalist cult and they're never going to leave that cult. And the fact that you even would question capitalism is beyond the pale man. So he says here, AOC is pushing socialism again. Perhaps she thinks capitalism has failed. Well, she's wrong and it hasn't failed. The virus did this to us. Now, obviously, the virus did this to us. I'm not going to lie and say that capitalism caused this virus. I think that's um, that's highly disingenuous but one thing i will say is that this virus does expose all of the inherent flaws within our capitalistic system capitalism has no remedy for workers during a pandemic whereas socialism does the entire economic system That we have comes crashing down the second any sort of volatility occurs whatsoever i mean as soon as the stock market crashes people lose their retirements i mean maybe 401ks shouldn't be in limbo because of the retirement maybe we need some sort of better solution that give people a little bit more financial security if they choose to retire. Maybe we shouldn't have a system where these private companies beg for socialism the minute people lose money to spend at their businesses. I mean, it's amazing to me that his entire worldview, the economic system that he worships, has been thoroughly discredited, especially now during this pandemic. And the best argument he basically has is, look, capitalism is still good. I swear to God, it's still good. Just keep being capitalists, guys. Keep supporting this economic system that's obviously working against you, that's against your own self-interest. Just trust capitalism. This is a cult. The fact that we haven't really even been able to question it until recently without getting harsh and swift pushback, it tells you how much of a cult this economic system is. Um, And he says that, you know, Democrats like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have also been trying to politicize this crisis. They're attacking Donald Trump for not responding. But here's the thing. I criticize Democrats because I think that they've been incredibly ineffective at doing anything, but they're also right to criticize Donald Trump because he has been slow to respond. It's irrefutable that if he acted earlier, if he actually listened to the experts that gave him... Ample warning, we would be better off. You can't deny that. Furthermore, Donald Trump is doing nothing more than throwing crumbs to the peasants. $1,200? What is that going to do? That doesn't cover rent for most people. So, we are right to criticize the party that's in power currently, because if we don't, then uh, what's the point? I mean, that's part of democracy, right? First Amendment, right? So, even if you think that we're politicizing this issue. It doesn't matter. Do better so Democrats and the left don't have ammunition to criticize Republicans. But you see, the thing about capitalism is it's not about building up the working class. It's about building up the bourgeoisie. That's what this is about. They don't care about you. They care about their donors. They care about their advertisers, which also happen to donate to the Republican Party on Fox News. Yeah. And he called AOC's tweet callous, and implied that she was basically acting gleeful at the prospect of people losing their retirements. But the fact that you're supporting this 401k system in lieu of pensions in and of itself is a scandal. You're the one who's being callous. A 401k system is hugely inferior to pensions, and even that isn't sufficient. People in this country can't retire because of what capitalism has done to retirements. We've privatized everything. They want to privatize Social Security. It's privatized this, privatized that. And then once these private companies who claim that they can actually handle everything uh end up failing, then they call on big government at the minute it becomes uh convenient for them. And it's really infuriating that these idiots see all this happening, like Stuart Varney, and they still claim that capitalism is the best system imaginable. Like what a cult. This is embarrassing. Now, look, I am gleeful at the fact that the oil market has crashed, not because I want to see workers lose their jobs, but because I think it's time to save the planet and move away from fossil fuels. And unlike Republicans and Fox News, I actually believe there are policy prescriptions that we can implement that will not just save these jobs, save retirements, but save the planet. Now, what is that policy prescription when it comes to oil? we nationalize every American fossil fuel company. That way, we can kind of do a sort of controlled demolition, so to speak, of these industries. Transition away from fossil fuels. It's a more clean, renewable technology. Wind, solar, hydro. We no longer subsidize oil and gas, but we subsidize green, renewables. Like, why, if you're a capitalist, just assume we're all capitalists here. In a global competitive economy why would you not want to be the leader in manufacturing green technology that's going to give you the competitive advantage so even by their own standards the fact that they want to remain dependent on oil like it flies in the face of reason even from the standpoint of a capitalist it makes no sense Now, I want to read an article from uh, Chris Saltmarsh of Jacobin, who does make the case for nationalization of these fossil fuel companies, because if we do this, this is how we set ourselves up to combat climate change, so that way these private companies just are unrestrained to destroy the planet for personal profits. He argues, in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, climate crisis, and the oil price drop, our priorities as a society should be people and planet, not the profits of fossil capital. President Trump has already said his government will buy oil for national reserves in response to the price drop, but we need a different kind of government intervention. This industry has had too many last chances. It does not deserve to be again. Governments should plan to nationalize it to avoid further short-term shocks and manage its decline in the medium term. The collapse in the price of oil is an opportune moment for governments committed to an energy transition to buy it up and set a sustainable course for the future. Oil stocks still haven't recovered from a slump at the end of March that took prices to new lows and it's likely the latest crisis will push them lower still. With fossil fuel company shares just as volatile as oil prices, governments should get ready to take advantage of further slumps to buy up controlling shares in the companies. There is only so far investment in competitive renewable industries and regulation will go. If we are to wind down the fossil fuel industry and guarantee justice for affected workers and communities, we will have to bring the industry into public ownership to manage its contraction as part of a planned transition. Liberating the industry from its current drive toward profit is the only way to ensure it does not throw all its remaining resources at undermining a just transition and a Green New Deal. This strategy is the only way to ensure that energy is clean, treated as a public, public good and universally provided as a basic right by public companies. As we recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, we cannot go back to normal. There should be no place for the rogue oil industry in the future we build for ourselves. And that's exactly it. Now is not the time to fall back onto what's familiar. Now is the time to be bold and think outside of the box, not be worried and deterred by fearmongering of socialism. Now is the time to take action. The oil industry is crashing. So what are we going to do? Continue to prop up this industry that's killing us? Or are we actually going to take control of this industry? That's a rhetorical question because uh, we know the answer already, right? But I mean, it doesn't... (laughs) What Stuart Varney is advocating for here is no change in the status quo. And what he is not telling you with that clip is that a lot of these jobs that are being lost... They're never going to come back. It's the same thing that Trump said when he promised to bring back coal. These jobs are never going to come back. So if you genuinely care about workers, then pretending to care is only going to get you so far. You actually have to have an alternative, a federal jobs program in an industry that will be a boon to our economy if we pursue it. Green industry, not just greenwashing, but actual renewable technology. I mean, even from the standpoint, again, of a capitalist, a cult member who, like, drank the Kool-Aid, it would behoove you to invest in this to make us more competitive in the global market. Don't cede this ground to China. Don't give them the competitive advantage. But I mean, it doesn't matter what terms you argue on, they're not true believers in their own ideology, If you were a pure capitalist as you say you are, you wouldn't believe in bailing out industries. If you were a pure capitalist as you say you are, you would believe in investments. You would believe in propping up other industries and not dying ones. If you were someone who actually believed in corporate socialism to an extent as Stuart Varney does because that's what his party advocates for. So, I mean, it's just, it's infuriating and it's really uh, frustrating that this goon thinks that he can convince people that he actually cares as a conservative capitalist about workers and worker rights and what they're experiencing. But I mean, the sad part is that people do buy it. This this type of propaganda, I think, is effective. It lands. So that's why, as, you know, members of the left, we've got to be extra vocal in calling it out and not be afraid to be bold. Call for nationalization of the oil and gas industry. That's what we need to do because that's what I think is going to help us be more successful in transitioning into a green economy. And I'll leave that there. So the Republican Party, they've really shown that they have the tendency to always think ahead. Even during this pandemic, they are currently thinking ahead. How are they planning for the future? Well, they're not necessarily trying to suspend rent and mortgage payments. They're not trying to get another stimulus to the American people to make sure that economically we'll be able to survive this pandemic. Uh, They're thinking about ways that they can undermine Social Security so that way, once this pandemic is over, after we didn't see what they were doing behind the scenes, then they uh, cut Social Security and possibly partially or fully privatize it. Right now, that's what they're trying to do covertly, behind the scenes, make moves that undermine Social Security under the guise of trying to give American citizens tax relief. And this is really, really nefarious, but it is exactly what we should have expected from Republicans. Because, you know, the thing about these types of crises is oftentimes, you know, logically speaking, you can see how maybe society would improve after tragedy. You know, but that's never the way that things work in practice, right? After 9-11, we got the Patriot Act. We saw, you know, the deterioration of our Fourth and Eighth Amendments. And after COVID-19, we could move towards a more, I don't know, humanistic, collectivist society where we actually look out for one another and just have some general compassion. We offer health care to everyone. But what are Republicans doing? They're choosing to hurt people even more. So Jake Johnson of Common Dreams explains exactly how they're doing this. He writes... The 2020 Social Security Trustees report out Wednesday found that the New Deal-era program is currently in strong financial health and well-positioned to remain so in the future. But advocacy groups are warning that Social Security's long-term finances could be in trouble if President Donald Trump and congressional Republicans are not stopped from exploiting the coronavirus pandemic to make deep cuts to the program's dedicated funding. In a statement, progressive advocacy group Social Security Works said the annual trustees' report projects that even if Congress took no action whatsoever, Social Security not only can pay all benefits and associated administrative costs until 2035, it is 91% funded for the next quarter century, 85% for the next half century, and 82% for the next three quarters of a century. Though the exact impact of today's pandemic and economic conditions will not be clear until next year's report, Social Security's strength will shine through next year as well, said Social. Security Works President Nancy Altman. Social Security is built to withstand today's events. The trustee's report came after Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, a proponent of Social Security cuts, claimed Tuesday night he was concerned about the rising national debt following the Senate's passage of a $480 billion coronavirus stimulus package. Let's weigh this very carefully because the future of our country in terms of the amount of debt that we're adding up is a matter of genuine concern, said Mitch McConnell. McConnell's rediscovered deficit hawkery, absent when the Senate was pushing legislation through the Senate aimed at helping the super-rich and large corporations, combined with the Trump administration's continued push for a payroll tax cut fueled fears that Republicans could be gearing up for another concerted effort to slash Social Security. So this is what they're currently doing. They're trying to lay the groundwork for future cuts to Social Security because they can never just come out and directly cut Social Security because this program, it's so popular that first, what you have to do if you actually want to attack Social Security, and they do because Wall Street has been salivating over it for decades, is you have to undermine it right first what you have to do is concern troll about the deficit even if you know all of their tax cuts to the rich makes them look like hypocrites that doesn't matter first of all you concern troll about the deficit second of all you then concern about the long-term health of Social Security and say look we've got to fix Social Security otherwise it's not going to be solvent and uh, people are going to lose their social security so if we want to really you know uh, live on then we have to, fix it. Now, that's always a lie. Anyone who concerns trolls about Social Security is not your ally. That's rule number one to know about Social Security. But then what they do is once they start to prime people to believe that some type of action has to be taken to protect Social Security, then they find ways to undermine it and make it worse. So what they're doing is they're trying to slash payroll taxes because if they do that, which is the main way that Social Security is funded, mind you, well then the program does in fact have less resources and then once it actually has less resources then people are forced to accept the fact that well i guess they're right i guess when they said we have to fix social security maybe we should have listened and then what's the proposal going to be to fix social security the proposal will be to uh privatize it either fully or partially and my screens just, um, went off, but that's fine. We'll keep going. <laughs> so this is, this is what they do. And you've got to understand that this isn't me just being hyperbolic. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is already proposing quote unquote relief in the form of a payroll tax cut. And the CARE Act had a provision that allowed the payroll tax to be delayed. So they're trying to offer relief to citizens in the form of tax cuts. And what they're doing is they're targeting the payroll tax very conspicuously why because if they cut into the funding of social security and they actually can undermine the program then once the program itself is undermined then the public trust in the program is undermined and then that paves the way for privatization this is exactly what they do they've used the same playbook now for decades the same exact playbook So how do you know if Republicans want to cut Social Security, if there's any type of crisis, or even if we're not in the middle of a pandemic or crisis? Well, the answer is they always want to cut Social Security. That's their secret. They always want to cut Social Security. Now, the way that they're doing this, like this, I think, is smart politics, right? Because they're trying to position themselves as the good guys. They're saying, look, Americans are hurting so we've got to offer them some relief. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut payroll taxes. But how does that actually help Americans who are losing their jobs? Think this through a little bit. How does that help people? Well, if they truly wanted to help people, don't you think there's better solutions like a uh, rent suspension, more money, a universal basic income? for the duration of this pandemic. There are a number of things they can do if they genuinely were interested in helping Americans. But for them, they serve their donors and that is their only goal. That's it. They don't care about Americans. So, anything that they do is going to be, you know, all in service of their donors, even if it seems like they're helping you. Understand, they're doing it to serve their donors. That $1,200 that you got, Well, that was some crumbs thrown to you so they can give trillions of dollars to their donors, multi-billion dollar companies who don't need to be bailed out. Do you think the cruise ship industry needs a bailout? They're not even American companies. Their addresses are not registered here. So every single thing this party does, this is a hyper-capitalistic party, is to serve their donors, not help you. So whenever they start talking about the deficit, that is code for... Hey guys, let's look at entitlement programs. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Anytime they talk about relief to the working class, there's always some type of catch-22 because the Republican Party isn't interested in actually helping anyone in America. Again, they only want to serve their donors. So what we have to do is continue to shine a light on them and shame them because one thing that has been really successful at protecting Social Security is just non-stop shame because the minute any party proposes cuts in any way, shape, or form, we have, uh, you know, these types of organizations like Social Security works just on them, like Stank on Shit, and it works so good. It works so well. So um, what we have to do is keep an eye on them. Don't let them cut Social Security. Call your representative. Call your senator. Tell him or her this is not going to fly. It's not acceptable. This program... Is something that you paid into and you want to keep paying into it, but you do need relief. So that relief doesn't have to come in the form of a payroll tax cut. That doesn't even really make sense in the context of a pandemic where 22 million people are unemployed, probably larger now. What makes sense now is universal basic income, an increase in food stamps, things that will actually help you get through this pandemic. And also, if we're being serious, a jobs program after this pandemic is through. So we will constantly have to deal with this um, forever. Social Security is a program that will always be under siege by the capitalist forces in our government. And if we're ever able to make progress in the future, imagine we get Medicare for All. That will be another program that will always be under siege. Like, hypothetically speaking, let's imagine we passed Medicare for All. 10 years down the line, once everyone has it, that program is going to be very, very popular with a high approval rating. So nobody will be able to directly attack it. So what we're going to see is uh, Republicans and possibly Democrats do exactly what they're doing in the UK, right? Boris Johnson can't just come out and say, I don't like the national health system. I want to dismantle it and privatize healthcare. He can't say that. So what does he have to do? He has to covertly undermine the system, underfund it. So people get less services offered to them. They start to grow dissatisfied and they start to actually open up their minds to thinking maybe privatization is a little bit better. This is the way that these types of politics works. These are the way bad actors operate in our government when it comes to programs like this that are too popular to touch directly. So just don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. Demand that they leave social security alone. Keep their disgusting hands off of it. Wall Street doesn't get a say. This is what we paid into. This is our program. We love it. Leave it alone. That's all that we've got for today's show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. As usual, we won't end before thanking all of our Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube members for helping the show not just to survive but thrive as well. Uh, I'll see you all next week. that's all I've got. So uh, I'm out of, I'm out of gas. I'm out of steam. And, you know, hopefully the show will improve. Uh, this was a relatively shorter episode, but I say, hopefully it'll improve in the sense that we need some like more positive news stories, but it's difficult to find, uh, more positive news stories given the circumstances that we're in, but we'll just cross our fingers together, guys, but I'll see you all next week.